Well, amen. Well, before we get started and uh, our, our lesson tonight, our message tonight, I want to give you just a kind of a, a couple of things about upcoming events. Again, uh, Brother Kavanaugh does a great job of that, but let me give you a couple more details. First of all, Brother Grady will be here this Sunday, okay? <clears throat> That's the 24th. I know it seems like a long way away with the way we've been announcing it, but he's here. He'll be here this Sunday, just in the morning he'll be with us. And uh, the last book he wrote was on the nation of Israel. And, uh, I mean, it's over a thousand pages. I, I just skimmed over it in about 20 minutes. <clears throat> well, okay, so maybe I read a few pages, but honestly, it's a thick book. And he's written books on, on the, uh, he's written books on the King James Bible. He's written books on now Israel. He's written books on America. And, uh, so like I say, he's a prolific author. He's written a number of books and he does a tremendous amount of research a very, very intelligent and, uh, I believe, uh, I mean, uh, biblically sound uh, man. And I, I'm excited to have him come in. Uh, he's written one of the, uh, a really a, a tremendous book on the King James years ago, probably 20 years ago, that was uh, <clears throat> kind of one of the staples, you know, kind of one of those deals. If you want to get a good background, you could buy that book and uh, that kind of thing. And uh, so, I mean, it was really excellent, and, and he just continues to put out good materials. And so I'm excited to hear what he has to say Sunday, and I'm sure he'll be focusing probably his main attention on Israel, and I'm excited to hear about all that. You know, there's uh, uh, groups of people going around sometimes that'll say things like, God's done with Israel, and some of them will say things like, well, you do know that we replaced Israel, and that we are Israel now, and things like that. I mean, there's all kind of crazy doctrines out there, 
And uh, I, I know he addresses it in his book. I read a couple of spots there. And so I don't know what he'll be teaching on, what he'll be sharing with us and preaching to us that morning. But whatever it is, I'm sure it'll be an encouragement and a blessing. If he just speaks about the Holy Spirit, that'll be fine, I'm sure, because you're going to enjoy it. I'm, I'm, I'm positive of that. And then also, there's another thing that I wanted to <clears throat> mention as well. We're going to be having an ordination service here. We're going to have an ordination service. We're going to be ordaining Brother Joshua and Brother Brad on the 15th of July. We're going to have Brother Moon up. He's going to be preaching for us on Sunday morning and Sunday night in the services. He'll be bringing the charge on Sunday evening for the ordination. And so we're looking forward to that. We're going to have a good time with that. And so we'll have some special guests with us that night as well. And uh, looking forward to Brother Moon being back with us just for the Sunday, all day, Sunday morning, Sunday night, on the 15th of July. So put, make sure you're there. Make sure you've got a, that on your calendar. You'll be glad you are. And uh, we'll look forward to that as well. So a number of things. Again, that's not on the calendar, but that's coming up. And uh, just make sure you make a note of that in your mind. Okay, well, anyway, <clears throat> Galatians chapter 4. We've been dealing with this issue for some time, and uh, we're going to go ahead and read the text passage, and we're going to jump right into where we kind of uh, where we started the last time we were together, and then finish it out. I, I believe we should be able to complete this uh, as of tonight, and uh, we should be able to, and uh, we'll, we'll see where that goes. But I anticipate in finishing it up, and then we're going to begin on Wednesday nights. We're going to start talking about finances and. Uh, just uh, addressing the, the biblical perspective of it, more so than the, the technical aspect. I'm not going to talk to you so much about what Dave Ramsey's and what our program was just a few months back. That's not what I'm going to be dealing with. I want you to understand basically just finances from a general perspective, a biblical perspective, and I think it's important. And again, it's something that everybody in the room probably would say, well, I know a little bit about that. And that's good. You ought to know something about that. But I think we need to be reminded consistently and constantly about finances, the place that money has in our lives and <clears throat> the place that God says it has, not what we believe it has, but where, where God says it belongs. And so we'll look a little bit at that as well. I'm looking forward to that study also. All right, Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 8, it says, How be it then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them, which by nature are no gods. But now, after that, you have... You know what? I'm going to share something else with you real quick. I, I need to share this with you, okay? Uh, when, when we're talking about Emma Kate, okay? And I, she is going to be madder and fire at me if she finds out about this. That's why I'm doing it now, because I don't think she'll ever hear about it. Uh, Emma Kate, let me just tell you something about how it, how it should be in all of our lives, okay? Emma Kate loves church so much. Emma Kate wants to be in church no matter what. <clears throat> Emma Kate... Um, and some of you, you know who I'm talking about, some of you, wheelchair, uh, confined to that wheelchair basically, can't get around much, broke her elbow, busted it all up, can't hardly use her one arm, things like that. Emma Kate uh, wants to be in church so bad that, uh, that she went ahead and contacted, she talked to her aide the night before on Saturday night, and they were talking about things, and the aide said, you really want to go to church in the morning, and, and yeah, I want to be in church no matter what. Uh, and Emma Kate can't dress herself. Emma Kate can't get ready. Emma Kate can't do that stuff anymore. So she had her aide dress her for church Saturday night before she went to bed. So when she woke up, she was ready to go to church. Now, I don't know about you, but that should convict us. 
That's a saint of God that wants to be in the house of God so that she can glorify God and receive what God has for her. I don't know about you, but to me, there's one of my heroes right there. You know, we get to the judgment seat of Christ one day. I think people, you know, that have served in the bus ministry and uh, maybe went out soul winning all the time and did all the things they could do and had the help to do it and maybe did it even sometimes with the wrong motivation or maybe with the wrong attitude. And Emma Kate's going to fly right to the front. And the Lord's going to go, now there's a servant. See, you can do things for God and not be a servant. Did you hear what I said? You can do things for God and not be a servant. But Emma Kate gets dressed on a Saturday night so she can be in church. Sleeps in her church clothes. I just wanted, I thought that would, it, it, it touched my heart, okay? It touched my heart. And I felt like if it encouraged me, maybe that'll encourage you. And I thought the next time I don't feel like getting out of bed or the next time I don't feel like doing something I should be doing for the Lord, I need to think about old Emma Kate <clears throat> and her love for Jesus. All right, anyway, I thought that was amazing, exceptional. All right, so anyway, let's continue here. How be it then when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? Ye observe days and months and times and years. I'm afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. You know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. And my temptation, which was in my flesh, ye despised not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. They sound like they were men worshipers, doesn't it? No, they weren't men worshipers. It's a funny thing, isn't it? Somebody does something worthy of a pat on the back, legitimate, spends 20, 30, 40 years in the ministry. Some group turns around and honors them, and somebody says, look at them, worshiping men. You kidding me? Then you work 20 years at a company or 25 years and you retire and they give you a watch and a, a dinner and a going away party and people go, man, they owe you more than that. You get where I'm going with this, don't you? Paul didn't ever, he never got mad at him for that, by the way. All he said was basically in the end, what happened? Where'd all that go? Notice he goes on to say, and again, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm just saying be careful, okay? You're, you're, if you've got a mom that loves you, a dad that loves you or something, you ought to honor them. You ought to lift them up pretty high. That ain't worshiping people. That's just honoring the, the efforts that they've done and making sure they know they're appreciated in that regard. <clears throat> Notice what it says here. He goes on. <clears throat> Where is then the blessedness you spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible you would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. Am I therefore become your enemy? Because I tell you the truth. And again, we've discussed this. We've, we've, we've went over and over and over again. But well, I'll tell you what, there was a people that loved the Apostle Paul, but boy, I tell you, the, the, <clears throat> that influence that got in there. I mean, here was this group of people saying, you Gentiles have to go through the synagogue to get saved. And boy, I'll tell you what, they were basically saying, you've got to maintain the law. And, 
you're going to have to put yourself back under bondage. And even though they'd been delivered out of bondage, talking the bondage of sin and Satan, now the, this group's saying, you've got to be back in the bondage again under the law. <clears throat> Paul says, now that's not the case at all. Be as I am, saved by grace through faith. That's what you were saved by. You're just like me. Why are you allowing yourself to go back under bondage again? So Paul's trying to rescue them, so to speak. He's trying to protect them from themselves. He's trying to help them see that the Christian life is not about just a set of rules and regulations. It's not about keeping a law. And yet, may I say, there is no life worth living that doesn't have rules and regulations. There's no nation in the world that has any order without rules and regulations. No life that has any purpose without rules and regulations. But by the same token, that is not what earns us favor with God. That's not what gains us heaven in the end. It's all God. It's all His grace, His mercy. And so Paul makes that clear. And so we've talked about the issue that now all of a sudden their attitude toward Paul has changed so dramatically. Where once he was as an angel, or even Jesus Christ himself in their eyes, now all of a sudden... They're treating him like an enemy. And he says there in verse 16, he says, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? And so we've asked a couple of questions, and the last couple we asked, the first one, we, we, you know, just a few weeks back, we were talking about, you know, what in the world can someone do that possibly sees the pastor as the enemy or sees a leader as, as an enemy? And, and, and it's a result of the fact that they're telling the truth. So what are they supposed to do about that? How are they to deal with that? And then we got on this subject. We started talking about this one. What should a pastor do if he's become the enemy in someone's eyes? And, and again, just a different perspective. You say, well, I'm not a pastor. I know. But boy, I'll tell you what, it wouldn't hurt for you to understand it a little bit. Because it's principles that you can apply in your life toward family and friends and maybe toward children and others as well. Because you are a leader in someone's life. You have influence in someone's life. You have an impact that you can make in someone's life. Whether you want to accept that responsibility or not, it is a reality. And so this may help you in your leadership role as you move forward. So we said, first of all, expect it, but don't accept it as commonplace. You know, unfortunately, as a minister, when this happens, it should, be, it should trouble us, bother us, but it shouldn't necessarily surprise us. See, there's no way to escape it completely, no matter what. But we should not be quick to accept it as normal either, because if it becomes normal, there's a problem. Number two, evaluate the situation, we said. Evaluate yourself and evaluate your response. And we said that most often there's some element of truth to every criticism. And that's true in your life, too. You say, well, I, I believe that with everybody I criticize. No, that, that's not, no, it's with every aspect of criticism, there's usually a shred of truth. Now, again, it may not be enough to really warrant the criticism. However, there's usually something there that we can learn. Someone says, you're a big mouth. And you go, how dare you? <laughs> and you say, there's no truth to that at all. And you start thinking about it and you go, well, okay, so in that particular situation and the, the, the situation they're talking about, that's not true at all. But I guess there are times that maybe I do run my mouth a little too much. Maybe I have done that in the past. Maybe I have even raised my voice when I shouldn't have. 
Maybe there's a shred of truth there somewhere. You know, our pride rarely wants to accept any criticism. But the truth is we probably would be most or best suited to certainly receive it and at least evaluate it. It doesn't mean it's always true. But it certainly means there's something to consider. And so it doesn't hurt to do that. And so as a preacher, you know, I, I, I say to myself, well, let me, let me con- consider this. Let me look at it. Is there any truth to this? Is there any shred of truth even? Because even if they said it with the wrong spirit, if I can glean and grow from it, then that's, that's good. And someone says, well, I don't take that junk from nobody. Yeah, you're arrogant and you're prideful. I don't take that from anybody either. Okay, so anyway, <clears throat> but, but that's a reality, isn't it? When a man or a woman can't take criticism, they're arrogant and they're prideful. I mean, I know it's not fun. It doesn't feel good. But think about how many times you criticize your kid in a sense. You say, you're wrong. The kid goes, what? You, gotta, you know what happens if they don't learn to take that? They grow up into an adult that doesn't take criticism. We've got to study it. We've got to scrutinize the situation on a case-by-case basis. We've got to consider whether or not the... That whether or not you've contributed to or the misunderstanding or could have avoided it had you maybe approached it differently. You've got to think that through. Because we're not always right. You're not always right. I'm not always right. So we have to at least be willing to consider that. And so we said, number two, evaluate the situation, yourself and your response. Number three, we said, if for some reason... as a pastor, you've become the enemy in someone's eyes, then you need to express and extend love. you got to express and extend love. And we said, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. A preacher or a leader of any sort may not be able to control the feelings and actions of their, those that follow. But he, he or she can control their own feelings and how they respond. You control your will, and your will controls your feelings. So will yourself to do the right thing. And so express and extend love. And we said that's so important. And so that means that the pastor, no matter how desperate, no matter, or excuse me, no matter how despised, rejected, or hated he may be by a church member, he can't respond in like manner. I hate you. Well, I hate you. He can't do that. He, he can't do that. And by the way, parents, you can't do that with your kids. Somebody has to be the adult. So anyway, those were the three things we discussed. And so today we want to continue with this. What does a pastor do? How's he respond? What, what are some things a pastor can do when someone believes him to be the enemy? Just some things he can do. You can't fix it necessarily unless they're willing to work with it. But these are some things you can try to do. So let's go ahead and have a word of prayer and we'll continue with that. Father, we love you. Thank you for these that have gathered, and Lord, help us tonight. We know, Father, that you're good to us, and Lord, because you're so good to us, Lord, uh, we, we, we probably ought to be better with others. And Lord, we just ask that you'd help us to be humble in our hearts and not to think too highly of ourselves. God, help us, Lord, just to be Christ-like in our attitude and our actions. And Lord, help us with our lips to control our tongues because they are set on fire of hell. We ask, Lord, for your leadership now. In Christ's name, amen.
Number four, communicate and confront. Um, again, we, we, we said already, you know, if for some reason a pastor has become the enemy of someone else, he needs to communicate and confront. And again, this is always, um, it's not easy. Um, as a leader, that's probably one of the worst parts. I, I'm not one of those guys. I don't like to confront people. I'm not, a, I'm not one of those in-your-face kind of people. You say, well, in the pulpit, you sometimes get in our face. It, it, I'm telling you, that's a totally different ballgame for me. Um, I, I don't have a problem with that because, you know, I, I feel very comfortable in that position. I feel as though the Lord tells me you're to preach. Boy, when I get down one-on-one, man, I hate to have to get in someone's face and, or point out a, an issue or a problem. I'm not that person. Um, I don't like to do that. I don't like to tell people they're wrong. I don't like to tell people what to do. Because, see, I'm not the one that has to live with the consequences of it. So what happens is, though, is that there's sometimes that people are doing things that are incorrect or wrong, going in the wrong direction. Then as a leader, if you're going to be the kind of leader you ought to be, you have to confront people. You have to be willing to step out of your comfort zone and do what you don't feel comfortable to do for the, for the sake of the person. And so you do, the, you do what is uncomfortable in your own strength. And you ask God to help, <clears throat> you, ask God to help you to do what only he can help you to do, you know, and that's the right thing. And so you confront and you, you, you communicate. Second Samuel 12. Turn to Second Samuel 12. We see a, a, a wonderful example of this in the Word of God. And again, uh, you know, you'll go, wow, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I've read this over before. And you know what? And that's good because, again, this is a really, uh, an amazing passage, really. When you consider who the prophet Nathan is addressing. When you consider the, the potential for harm to Nathan, you've got to realize that in these days, as we read about this, the king could easily have killed this man. It wouldn't have been the first time in history it happened. We read about Micaiah and how they treated him, remember? We talked about that early on in our study. So here we have a situation where, of course, you and I know from reading the Bible and, and, and growing up in Sunday school maybe or hearing about David and Bathsheba, how he had taken what was not his. And so God sends a prophet to David. And, of course, he's the king, and the king can do whatever he wants, man. I mean, he is king, you know. Unfortunately, he broke God's commands, and he disobeyed the Lord, and as a result... <laughs> God sends Nathan. Notice what he says here. Nathan's going to confront him. Chapter 12. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, and one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. That dude's out of his mind. Ain't no way I got no lamb laying in my bosom. Eating at my table. It's like, how's that? Bad. Like, what are you talking about? That's good food, man. We, we've spent a long time cooking that. You, you, bad. No, I'm not putting up with that. <laughs> no way. But anyway, we, you get the story. Okay, so anyway, and there, were, there came a traveler unto the rich man. 
And he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And old David, look what he does. He says, and David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. You see the power that the king had? And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. So he's going to kill him. Then he's going to have to still give up four lambs. That's crazy, isn't it? And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Isn't it interesting? And it is so indicative of humanity that we rarely see our own faults. You ever notice that? Even in the Word of God, David, this great man of God. When you think about men of God and you say, well, name a few of the great men of God in the Word of God. And some people go, David. He's one of the first ones that come out of your mouth. Solomon, David, Paul, Moses. But David ends up there in that list. And you know what? For good reason and good cause. Do you realize that David is the king by which all other kings are judged? David, a great man of God. And yet he did not see his own faults. But Nathan confronted him and communicated with him in spite of the potential for harm to himself. Verse 13, David, how will you respond to this criticism? How will you deal with this indictment? And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Big, isn't it? See how David responds? You say, well, of course, if I did what David did, it would be obvious to me I was wrong. Yeah, well, if you were the king of Israel and you had access and and the ability to do whatever you chose to do and nobody nobody had the guts probably to tell you you were wrong as you were going through that process. Let me tell you, you'd get pretty haughty, pretty, possibly pretty prideful. You'd get to the place where you thought that you had a right to do what you were doing. And by the way, if you'd look at your life and we start to really examine ourselves in our own lives, where there's things we permit in our own lives that we know are sin and we still permit them and we even excuse them because we say, well, you just don't get my situation. You don't understand where I'm at. And so it's, I understand it's wrong, but it's not really wrong when you think about everything else. That's kind of how we get. And then let somebody come rock your world by telling you you are wrong. And boy, I'll tell you what, if you're not careful, thank God you're not a card-carrying member of the NRA. Thankfully, you don't carry a sword on your side. Thankfully, you're not as good with nunchucks as I am. Well, I'm not really good at that. But anyway, because you would just whap them on the noggin. Because nobody tells you you're wrong because you know better. Hey, listen, David could have easily responded that way like many of us do when we're confronted with things that we're doing wrong. But he didn't, did he? Thank God David didn't. Now listen, relationships do not need to be complex. 
They really don't. Do you know what makes relationships complex? Pride. Pride makes relationships extremely complex. Um, that relationship between the prophet Nathan and David was, in the end, a sweet relationship because David died to self. And Nathan was willing to confront him in spite of himself. There was communication and confrontation that took place. And you know, we have to put our pride aside as well. God addresses basic rules of engagement concerning relationships where there are either one, the other, or both that introduce trouble to the relationship. Let's look at how and what, he, what those basic rules of engagement are then. Look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. <clears throat> Again, it's not complicated, and it's not that difficult if pride is not in there. If you, you remove that five-letter word pride from relationships, and all of a sudden everybody gets along. I mean, if you want to name one element that created the division between Lucifer and God, it was the word what? Pride. Every breakdown in relationships can be rooted in pride. Now, it doesn't mean everyone has to agree with one another all the time. But the relationship still exists. There may not be that intimacy and closeness. It may not be one of those things where I'm going to hang out with you every day because me and you are the best buddies ever. But there still can be a relationship. Notice what it says in Matthew 18, 15. Moreover, thy brother shall trespass against thee. Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. So he's saying, if someone sinned against you, and I think it's important to realize, we're not talking about, you know, you you do have to be careful. And yet, I'm going to say this, as petty as you may be, you may be super petty today. And if you are that petty that someone hurts you because they didn't wink at you and they winked at someone else, then you still need to go to them. And I'm exaggerating, obviously. I hope. You hear where I'm going with that, though? Because if you believe someone has slighted you, someone has hurt you, someone has sinned against you, then you have the responsibility to go to them. They don't have to come to you. Not according to what... See, it's interesting. We talked about this at the marriage conference. God does not emphasize your rights as a spouse. He emphasizes your responsibility as a spouse. And it's in your responsibility that we find the greatest need of the spouse, the other spouse. So you do your part. That's what God's focused on. He's not saying, oh, poor pitiful you, husband. Poor pitiful you, ma'am. No, he says, no, here's what you're to do, ma'am. Here's what you to do, sir. And if you will do your part, then everything else will fall into place in time or as I deem necessary. And you say, well, that takes forever sometimes. I don't like how slow that process is. Well, too bad. 
if you're going to do it biblically, you've got to do it God's way. And this is how it is here. It doesn't matter how painful it may seem or how unjust it may seem to you. God has a purpose and a reason for everything he does. And all he's saying is, is that if you want your relationships to be what they're supposed to be, then if someone has slighted you in your mind, and it may or may not really have been a slight, maybe it's just you believing that. And that's why you need to go to them anyway. You need to confront it. You need to talk to them. And it says in private. That means you don't share it with everybody else. Nobody, nobody, nobody should know you have a problem with somebody else. That you, you handle it with them. That's what the Bible teaches. Now again, it implies something that, it implies that sometimes a person like David may not even know that they've done anything to hurt you until you tell them. David was not aware when Nathan's telling him this story, he doesn't put two and two together. He doesn't figure it out. Because in his mind, he had done nothing wrong in his own mind. He was okay with what he did. He justified what he did. He even killed Uriah the Hittite. Listen, a Christian can do some pretty heinous things. And we say things like, well, if you're a Christian, you'll have tremendous conviction. Do you know if you'll harbor sin in your heart, you'll get to the place where you'll be so hard you won't care? And David obviously has made a tremendous mistake, I mean a sin against God, and Nathan has to confront him, and finally says, thou art the man. I'm not talking about somebody else, I'm talking about you, David. And David goes, wow. Guess what? You would be surprised when you approach somebody that has, in your mind, slighted you, in your mind, offended you, in your mind, hurt you, in your mind, sinned against you. You will be amazed How many times you approach somebody and they go, huh? I did what? I'm sorry, I I had no clue. I didn't know that. Really? I'm so sorry. I had no idea that that offended you. And that's one reason why God says, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee. Now, there are times, I mean, the word trespass does imply something probably a little bit more than, you know, you weren't invited to the ice cream social. You get where I'm going with this? However, I'm telling you, no matter what it is, you ought to deal with it the biblical way. Because relationships are what it's all about. You know, in most cases, when a pastor is hated for telling the truth, do you realize it's usually something that could easily be repaired and fixed if it was handled immediately instead of let build up over the course of months and years? It would be handled. Do you know how many marriages could be fixed and restored today if only when something happened we addressed it immediately instead of letting it build up? Build up and build up until we blow up. God knows how to take care of this. It's not complex. It's not hard, he says. It's simple. You have to just follow some basic rules of engagement. One of them is this one. The verse also reminds us that although you go to them in obedience to the word, their response may not be reconciliation either. There's no guarantee. They don't have to listen to you. They don't have to to do what you say. They don't have to even admit that they've hurt you. That's not your responsibility to make them do it right. However, we're going to see that if they do hear you and if they, they, they do respond in a, 
the proper manner, the two of you will be able to be restored and you'll have gained a brother. That's a wonderful thing. What's the other, what, what, where do we find some other rules of engagement that, that apply to us? So on one hand, somebody in my mind offends me, uh, 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 hurts me, uh, harms me, attacks me in my mind, uh, does something to do, to, 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 like I feel like sins against me. I am responsible, rules of engagement, to go to them. What else? Matthew 5, 23 and 24 now. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. Now this one's going to seem almost opposite. You'll be like, wait a second, I thought it was supposed to be this way. Uh, Remember, we're all God's children, so God always puts the responsibility on us as individuals. Watch what happens in this situation. This is interesting too. And that's what I say. You, You want to talk about confrontation? The relationships are about being confrontational, not, not mean-spirited, not angry, but confronting situations, circumstances, and one another as needed. Not in a, a critical manner, not like, hey, I want to tell you right... No, not like that. I'm going to tell you, I don't appreciate... No, nah, not like that. Just simply, you know what? I'm going, to, I'm going to deal with this. I'm going to talk to somebody. I'm going to approach them. Why? Because that's God's rules of engagement. Watch what happens here. Therefore, verse 23, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, what's taking place here? Somebody's doing what? Come into an altar, bring in a gift. Now, if that was in the Old Testament, they're bringing a gift to the altar, making sacrifice, trying to either deal with sin or approach and reach God. Trying to get to God. So, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there rememberest, you remember that thy brother hath ought against thee. That's important now. You're, you just, wow, my brother has ought against me. Leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, then come and offer thy gift. Huh. Rule of engagement. When you remember, or it's brought to your attention in your own mind, the Holy Spirit makes it clear that somebody, you've offended someone else. You've done something to hurt, harm, or somehow upset someone else. And now you're going to come to the altar and you want to embrace your relationship with God. He says, you leave that gift at the altar and you go take care of business and the relationships on earth first. You deal with that relationship. Don't come to me and try to be lovey-dovey when you've got a brother or sister that you know you have offended for whatever reason, mind you. Don't, want to, don't be lovey-dovey with me till you've gotten right with them or attempted to. Wow, is that huge? That's big, isn't it? So wait a second, on one hand, if, if someone offends me, I'm responsible to go to them. Rule of engagement. But on the other hand, if I realize I've offended someone else, I'm responsible to go to them too. They, 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 they offend me, I go to them. I offend them, I go to them. You know what should be happening? Stand up, Cody. Come on, come on this way. 
We should be going like this. I'm trying to get going. I want to get to you before you. I'm trying to get to you. I'm trying to get to you. I'm trying to get to you because I, I just want you to know it doesn't matter whether it was me or him. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how I feel about it, whether, even if I'm wrong. Maybe I feel he did something he didn't do. Maybe he feels I did something I didn't do. Maybe I feel like I did something that he doesn't even know about it. But I know about it. It's in my conscience. It's on my heart. It's in my mind. I feel like maybe, just maybe, I've done something to offend him. He may not even know about that. But if I feel that, I'm not even going to try to get close to God yet. I'm running to get a hold of him. Hey, brother, I just want you to know, man, I am so sorry. The other day, man, rule of engagement. See, we ought to be running into each other. It shouldn't be, go ahead and have a seat. this This is the pitifulness of the church today. Brother, hey. Brother, I just want to talk to you. What do you want to talk to me about? No, brother, I, I, what, what do you want to talk about? What is that about? Is Christ living in your heart, sir? Is Christ living in my heart? Are we both believers? Do we all function by the same set of rules of engagement? Of course we do. Why is it then that we can't get along? Why is it we can't work together? Why is it that doesn't happen? And that's what a pastor has to do then. See, a pastor has to humble himself all the time. Because you want to know something? You know what I've learned? The kids don't know how to do that yet many times. When I say the kids, I'm talking about the members. And I'm telling you as a parent, listen, sometimes you got to humble yourself before your own children to teach them how to do it. It doesn't do any good to get angry and upset with people all the time and act like they owe you. God's word is simple. As a believer, we are willing to take it on the chin because we want to see other people grow. We want to see it better for other people. And there are times that as a leader, you have to be very straightforward with people and you got to be honest with people. But I'm telling you what, it's important that you understand it starts with you, whether you did the wrong or not. And so in a situation where there is a believer that somehow has felt like the pastor hates them or like they hate the pastor. You think that should be their responsibility to deal with that. They should be the one that has to come to you. They're the one that has the problem. I know, but if I find out about it, then I need to deal with that. Not because they're killing me, but because it's killing them. And you know what? That's how it ought to be in your life. You ought to be the bigger man or woman. You need to be the leader. You need to be the parent. You need to be, in a sense, that person that says, I'm going to follow God's rules of engagement. Boy, how important is this communication and confrontation? See, the basis for a healthy and happy relationship is communication. We understand this. We all talk about that all the time. And it's never more true than in, a, in the face of conflict or the face of misunderstanding. M- marriages fail because people don't listen to one another. Too much talking going on. Not enough listening. The real root, the real basis, the better part of communication is listening. Not talking. If you, if you pride yourself on being a talker, 
My friend, you need to start working at being a listener. Because you are wrecking relationships all around you, I promise you that. Again, that, that was free. You, you don't have to pay somebody 120 bucks an hour to get that one. I just gave it to you for free. It doesn't matter who the culprit is. What's important is that it's addressed and hopefully resolved. And so the truth is that you cannot keep a disgruntled member. And here's what I'm going to tell you the truth of. No pastor will ever keep a disgruntled member by keeping quiet or burying your head in the sand. Here's what happens. Most often, they'll only spew their dissatisfaction, their bitterness, their anger, and their resentment onto others. See, that's what will happen if you do nothing. Their end game, you say, well, what's the point of that? I'll tell you what it is. To gain the sympathy and support of others in an attempt to justify themselves in their own eyes and in the eyes of those other people. Sooner or later, they're going to be gone unless you can intervene. That's the bottom line. They'll not stay. They'll leave. So you need to confront. You need to communicate. You need to do your best to reason with them earlier than later. And sometimes you don't find out till late. And that's almost... problem. I want to encourage you in your marriages, in your parenting, even at your job, at school with your teachers. It doesn't matter what relationship it is. If you will exercise these rules of engagement, they will help you. Not everyone will respond the way you would like them to, but you'll be right with God and you'll be right with yourself. And you'll be able to face the mirror and know that you've done all you can. No matter how it pans out, it'll be okay. You'll be all right. So let's do things God's way, even in this area. And like I say, as a pastor, wow, those are not easy situations. As a dad, it's not easy. As a mom, it's not easy. But you know what? We got to communicate and we got to confront. Aren't you glad we got through one of four tonight? Let's go and have a word of prayer. Father.